0: To be here with you guys, absolutely. And before we dive in, we're going to be looking at John chapter twenty. So, you're, so if you want to get ahead and find that place in your Bible, use the table of contents for free. If you have an app on your phone, whatever you use. But before we look at John chapter twenty, I want us to think about this. There is a difference between looking and seeing. Anyone like me. You are looking around the house for the phone charger. Or maybe you were looking in the fridge for some of those delicious leftovers. And you're like, I'm looking, but I just don't see them. You just weren't looking in the right way or at the right place, right? Or maybe you're looking around for your glasses and you realize you need your glasses in order to find your glasses, right? You're looking, but you just don't see. Or maybe you're looking for your phone, and you've looked all over the house, right? And you're like, okay, now it's time to call it. Because for me, sometimes it's personal, right? I'm going to find it. I don't need no help, right? But then you've got to have them call you. And where was it? The place you looked a dozen times and never saw it, right? There's a difference between looking and seeing. And today, on this Resurrection Sunday, I want to encourage us to look and see. The hope that's found in Jesus, because you can take a look at the empty tomb, but not see the resurrection hope that Jesus brings. And in John chapter 20, we're going to join the earliest followers of Jesus just days after he was crucified. And we're going to see them looking, but not seeing, at least until the end. And before we read, Just consider that the Gospels, remember, are sort of eyewitness accounts. These folks had followed Jesus for his life and ministry. They're writing down what he said and did. In fact, everything we know about Jesus comes from his disciples. Jesus himself didn't sit down and pen a single book of the Bible, right? But his followers did, and his spirit inspired those followers to do so. And these are historical, reliable records. These are eyewitness accounts. And one of the things I love about it is they don't even present themselves in that great of a light. How do you know somebody's telling you the truth? They're telling you exactly how it is. And the disciples are not going to put themselves in a great light in this passage. John is going to record for us what he perceives to be the most important things Jesus said and did. He writes elsewhere that you could fill endless libraries full of books of things Jesus said and did. But he wants to kind of give us the Cliff Notes version. Give us the highlights that we might see and believe in Jesus. In order that his testimony as an eyewitness might give us spiritual sight Through the Holy Spirit. And John is even going to include himself in this passage by calling himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. And in this passage, we're going to have four looks at the empty tomb by three different people. And yet, only one of these looks is going to actually see what truly happened that Jesus is risen from the dead, and that that changes everything. Let's dive in together. John chapter 20, we're going to read from verse 1 to verse 10 together. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen clothes lying there, and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. This is the word of God. Remember, John here wants to give us an eyewitness account. He wants to tell us everything that, that he can kind of put together, the most important things to know about Jesus. And John begins his ministry all the way in the beginning, the very, very beginning. In fact, John opens his gospel with the famous words, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He starts all the way back and eternity passed before the world began. That's pretty early to begin, isn't it? And he tells us that Jesus was called the Word, that he was with God and was God. And he says that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us john was doing a very deeply theological claim when he said this he was saying that jesus was truly god the second person of the trinity and truly man and he lived for 30 something years on this earth that the god man has come to us and he saw john saw his ministry he heard what jesus taught He heard him preach. He was one of the 12 disciples Jesus called. He saw Jesus heal people. He brought a man back to life. He performed other miracles. He lived a sinless life. And then he dies on a cross at the end of his ministry. He was unjustly tried for crimes he did not commit. He was sold out by one of his closest followers. He was hung on the cross Crucified on an instrument of torture. He was mocked, spit upon, and he suffered even unto death. And then he was buried in a borrowed tomb in a rushed funeral, buried in a cave, and a stone was placed over the door, and people put guards to watch the door. Imagine that. If you ever feel kind of maybe like your job's not going anywhere, imagine being the person that was guarding Jesus' tomb after he died. Right, trying to keep him inside, like that was going to work for him, right? Jesus died on a Friday. The next day was the Jewish Sabbath, so there was no work to be done. It was a, a day of silence. And now it's early Sunday morning. It's still dark, in fact. The sun may be just coming over the horizon. And Mary Magdalene comes to the tomb, likely to honor the man who had healed her and whom she worshipped. And look what happened. John chapter 20, verse 1. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark, and she saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. She finds the body, the stone rolled away, and the body's missing. And I want you to to imagine the level of fear, the panic, the anxiety that would have come over her. It's dark. Again, she sees the stone rolled away. And friends, this wasn't a small stone. This thing's huge. It would have taken a ton of effort, and there's no body inside. Mary Magdalene gets the first look, and she gives the look I want to call the clouded explanation. She gets the first look, and she gives the clouded explanation. Notice how her sight is impaired here. It's dark outside and this was in the days friends long before flashlights she didn't have a cell phone in her pocket you ever walk through your house at night you turn on the phone she doesn't have this she's not near city lights it is dark as dark can be she might have had a candle with her and that's it as she walked through the dark her view is crowded but even she's able to see that the door to the tomb was open the guard is gone and the body's not there and rather than go forward, here's what she does next. Verse 2. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, that's John, right? And said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So she runs to Peter and John. And friends, I don't blame her. Imagine, right, you come, if you went home and your door to your house was open, you would probably go get some reinforcements too, right? Right? But now, the door to this tomb is open. She runs to get Peter and John, and she says, they have taken him. Now, I don't know who they exactly are, right? She might have meant those who had crucified Jesus. Jesus actually had a lot of haters in his ministry. He had a lot of people who did not like him, and those who conspired to kill him, but Regardless, Mary came to this sort of idea. There was a conspiracy. Somebody took the body of Jesus. And her conspiracy missed the reality. She thinks that someone has taken the body and put it somewhere else. But her theory still assumes that Jesus is dead. She looks at the empty tomb, but comes away with a clouded explanation. Mary Magdalene and all the disciples never expected the resurrection to happen. It wasn't their first thought. And it wasn't as if Jesus didn't tell them this. Jesus said it. You can go read through any of the Gospels. He's over and over saying things. But friends, the disciples are just like us, prone to miss the point. And they missed what Jesus said to them over and over and over again. She assumes the body's stolen And it's interesting that even Jesus' closest disciples missed the point. I think this should be something to consider. If you were going to make this whole thing up, wouldn't you want to put yourself as the one who kind of got it first? But none of them get it. Not a single one of them. Why would you make yourself look like such a fool? And consider even in the first century that Mary Magdalene, as a woman, wouldn't have even been able to go into court and testify in, in those days. Like, she wasn't somebody they could have used as a witness, yet it all starts with her. If this were a tall tale, why make yourself look like you missed the point? And why start things with Mary Magdalene, who, again, not only was a woman in the first century having issues with that, but she wasn't necessarily a woman of the greatest background in the first century either. And maybe your view of the empty tomb is like Mary here. You know something happened you may have your own theory, but you haven't been able to get a good look. You feel clouded by darkness. Maybe there's moral darkness. Maybe you know that if Jesus is really risen from the dead, that changes everything. And something in your life's going to have to really change that you're clinging on to. Maybe there's tradition clouding it. What people have told you or falsehood others have made you believe that have kept you from the realities of the resurrection. But hear this, there is good news for you. And there was good news for Mary because, friends, God did not leave Mary Magdalene in the dark. She might have been in the dark then, but God was going to shine the light. And in the very next section in John chapter 20, verse 11, he appears to her and shines the light into her hearts. You can go home and read that later account of him appearing to her after his resurrection. Friends, he did not leave her in clouded explanation as she continued to seek him. And look what happens next. Upon hearing about all this, the two disciples decide to go and take a look. Peter and John, they're ready to go. Look at verse 3. I love this. So Peter went out with the other disciple. This is John. And they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. So first notice, Peter and John, they're going to go out in the night, and they're going to run to this tomb. And I love this little detail. John wants to make sure we know thousands of years later he beat Peter in the foot race. He wants you to know this. This is totally how guys have friendships with one another, isn't it? We want them to know who the faster runner was. John's probably reminding Peter over and over and over again that he was younger and faster than Peter ever was. It's a wonderful little piece of eyewitness testimony, isn't it? And this is John's way of doing, the the kids use the phrase, he says he has the receipts, right, to prove that what he's saying is true. It's like, I was there, I ran past him, and I even beat Peter in the foot race to get there. And John arrives at the tomb, and John gives the second look. And we're going to call this second look the cursory investigation. This is the second look that John gives. He gives a cursory investigation. Look at verse 5. He gets to the tomb, and stooping to look in, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. John arrives first, And likely was not sure what he was going to do when he got there. (laughs) Right? He gets to the tomb. And he sees the stone moved away. And he probably hears the silence of the morning. And goes, you know, I wasn't really sure I was going to get this far. (laughs) And he hears the silence of the morning. And rather than go in, he kind of peers around the corner to see the grave close. And he gives a quick little look of investigation. The best way I can illustrate this, John is giving the bump in the night. You ever had that you hear something, that bump in the night, and you grab your gun or your stick-like weapon, whatever you decide to have, and you're going to go down that hall nice and quiet. Maybe you're going to hide behind the corner, and you're just going to kind of peek around, right? You're going to try to take them by surprise. You're listening closely. You're giving at least a cursory in look and investigation. Friends, that's what John's doing here. Because he doesn't really know. We don't really know what he's concluded, what he's thinking. And maybe that's where you are today. You've looked at the empty tomb, but you've never really got a good look around what this means for your life. You may be afraid of what you're going to find when you look in the empty tomb. Or, man, if Jesus is risen from the dead, friends, that means we should listen to him and listen to what he has to say to us. And that can be scary to put a blank check of our life on the table. But God's most popular command in the Bible is two simple words. And it's an invitation for you. It's the words, fear not. That's the most popular command that's given in the Bible through angels, through so many others. And friends, the empty tomb should not be a message of fear, but rather a source of comfort from all of our greatest fears. Because Jesus is alive. And that changes everything. John gets this cursory look. In fact, John's often shown to be one of the more reserved disciples. But Peter, poor Peter, he just wasn't. He always jumped right into everything he did, didn't he? If you ever read much about Peter's life, he was always the first to open his mouth, the first to put his foot in his mouth. And the first to do the exact opposite of what one should do in the situation. So John arrives, gives this cursory look, and Peter comes behind him. And Peter, always the go-getter. Look what happens, verse 6. I love this. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and he went into the tomb. He just, like, pushes John out of the way and says, let me into the crime scene, the potential crime scene, right? He rushes right in, and he saw the linen clothes lying there and the face cough which had been on Jesus' head. Lying not with the linen clothes, but folded up in a place by itself. Here we see the third look, right? This is the look from Peter, and I'm going to call this the curious examination. Peter gets a little bit closer, because again, he's already kicked in the door. He's in, you know, his fingerprints are everywhere. He's the guy who was not very careful here, right? He just goes right in, and he finds something shocking. Peter, he sees nobody... He sees the grave clothes. When they would bury people in the first century, they would cover them with clothes, and they would also put a, a, a cloth over their face. And here's what Peter saw that was incredible. Whoever had been in the tomb did their laundry. You think about it? He said, they came in, there's no body. They've nicely placed the clothes where they go, and they folded the face wrapping and put it in the corner. What? thieves, do you know, do laundry when they leave? They can come visit me sometime, right? But these grave robbers, there's all of these specific details that they're given. Because they're eyewitnesses, they were here, we can believe them. And he comes and he finds them, not tossed aside and wrinkled. This doesn't look like the place where grave robbers have stolen the body of Jesus. Something happened here. It's curious, but Peter still doesn't get it. Maybe that's where you find yourself. You're like, I, I know the body wasn't stolen. doesn't make any sense. Maybe you've got, you know, something peculiar happened, but you don't know what it means to you. You find yourself, Luke tells us that this was how Peter felt inside when he arrived at the tomb. Luke tells us this in Luke 24, 12. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen clothes by himself, and he went home marveling at what had happened. He's just in awe. marveled. Luke gives us a bit of an abbreviated account of Peter's reaction. He looked and concluded that something happened, but that wasn't enough. Because you can marvel and miss the miracle. You can be amazed but miss the most amazing thing. Mary looked And had a clouded explanation. She feared a conspiracy. Someone stole the body. She misses the miracle. John ran to the tomb. And he sort of looked from the outside. He didn't put his whole self in there. And he gave a cursory investigation. And he missed the resurrection in the empty tomb. Peter rushed inside the tomb. And he gives a curious examination. Yet he missed. The resurrection. It wasn't until John gives a second look that everything changed. And maybe, friends, we need to follow John's example and give the empty tomb a second look. John looked and had the fourth thing that we need to see the climactic realization. He had the climactic realization. John sees, he's looked and he sees, and look what he sees, verse 8. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. John's second look wasn't like the other looks, because it was combined with faith. John began to know by the eyes of faith, but the rest of the disciples would only know through their eyes of sight, and it's that Jesus Christ is risen! And I think we're tempted when we hear, oh, he saw and believed. I think we're tempted to misunderstand faith. Because, hear me, faith is rarely, if ever, blind. I don't think John's faith is very blind. I mean, he showed up at his tomb. The the stone's rolled away. The the laundry's been done. Something's happened here, right? John also had the benefit of, of hearing and being among Jesus. There's an empty tomb, right? Friends, we have the benefit of eyewitness testimony of a guy named Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John who gave us their eyewitness testimony. We've got other historical sources outside the Bible, like a guy named Josephus you can go look up sometime. He wasn't even a Christian and gives lots of of confirmation of what Jesus said and did. He was alive during that time and saw it. We get the additional testimony of what the apostles did and said, and we get to see how all the Old Testament scriptures fit together. John didn't even have that at this moment, at least not yet, and he sees and believes. And John even interrupts the narrative and tells us this, verse 9 and 10, For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he, Jesus, must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their home. They hadn't put together all of the pieces. Jesus was going to later put together on the Emmaus Road when he would walk with his disciples. He was going to do the biggest Bible study that they've ever been a part of and show them every little thing they missed and put it all together. And we actually get now from that study what we see in much of our New Testaments. And friends, they missed out on this. They didn't understand all of this, that Christ has risen, and that changes everything, but John began to believe. And he believed before he ever saw the scars on Jesus' hands or his feet. The apostles get a unique experience of being able to be alive, to see and testify to the resurrected Jesus, To look with their eyes, but John doesn't want us to confuse and think a look with the eyes is better than a look with the soul through faith. In fact, later on, Jesus is going to appear to Mary and to the disciples when they gather for a time of worship, right? Many read verse 10 as a bad thing, when it says they went back to their homes. Some read that as an act of disobedience, like they were going back to everything they were doing before Jesus, but funny enough, when Jesus shows up, the disciples are gathered together doing what Jesus told them to do. <laughs> he shows up, they're having church, and Jesus just walks in the door through the wall. Like, they had the doors locked. Like, do you imagine? Could you imagine that? And he makes one of many appearances after he rose from the dead. Did you know Jesus actually made post-resurrection appearances? This man was publicly dead, crucified, the whole world saved saw it. If they had had news stations at that time, they would have been broadcasting, breaking news, Jewish prophet dead. And three days later, and for 40 days after that, he's walking around, talking to people, eating fish, fishing out on the lake. Way back, we're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that Jesus appeared at one time to over 500 people people and they saw him and he walked all over israel and was seen friends this is an invitation to you this easter to take a second look like john did some of us need to take that second look in the empty tomb and to combine it with faith because friends let me tell you you can travel to israel and you can dig up every single grave there is and let me tell you you're not going to find jesus's body but some people still won't be satisfied with that because we don't need to ultimately look with our eyes. The empty tomb is of no look, If we, is of no use to us, if we don't look with the eyes of faith. If it doesn't penetrate our soul. Here's what Jesus would say to a man named Thomas, who actually gets a kind of bad rap in the scripture, I think. I don't blame Thomas for being a little questioning about some things. Here's what he says, John chapter 20, verse 29 Jesus said to Thomas, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen, yet have believed. Instead of this, Jesus says, we're more blessed than those who saw him were. That's a greater blessing in seeing, not blindly, but by faith. Placing our trust in Jesus. Because hear me, our faith rests, in the risen one, not on any evidence regarding the empty tomb. Because remember, there's all sorts of people who saw the empty tomb and didn't get what mattered. Because faith is not a simple assertion of certain facts. I could try to argue your way to believing the tomb was empty, but it will do you no good if you do not place your trust in the one who walked out of that tomb. If you do not place your faith, in him. We, what needs to happen is to take hold of God's promises through Jesus by faith, to put your hope in the one who walked out of the tomb. We can talk about that empty tomb all day long, but we've got to place our trust in the one who walked out of it. Have you ever considered why Jesus needed to die and rise? Part of it's because friends, God is perfectly holy, righteous, Friends, he is a judge, and he never gets a case wrong. And all of us have a court date with him one day. We're going to stand before the God of the universe, who's never once gotten a case wrong, and he's going to look on our life. When we've been walking as a church through the Ten Commandments, as we've been working through Exodus, and I think if we could sum up that whole series in one sentence, it's that none of us have kept any of them. (laughs) Right? All of us, whether through our actions or in our hearts, me included, have sinned against God. The Bible says that we don't have to murder to break the commandment against murder. If we hate another person and long for and, and want bad things to happen to them, we've committed murder in our hearts. Jesus says if you look at a person with lustful intent, you've already committed adultery in your hearts. He tells us not to curse Covet. that's a heart activity. And friends, one day we're going to stand before God as people who've lied, who've committed murder in our hearts, who committed adultery in our hearts. And friends, we're in trouble if left to ourselves because God is holy and we are sinners, but Jesus died and rose again in order to be our substitute. That when Jesus died on the cross, he, even though he was sinless, bore the punishment that we deserve. We deserve to die, but Jesus died instead, bearing the punishment for our sins upon himself. And he rose again, friends, to be the receipt, to show, hey, the debt is paid, and to show us that we can trust him and follow him. And, friends, we can follow him where he has gone. Friends, the resurrection changes everything. We can now, instead of trying to work our way to God, instead of trying to think that, well, I just gotta do enough good stuff, or "Or I gotta make sure I'm doing all this or that. No, we come to Him by faith and experience life in His name. Because friends, when Jesus rose again, he didn't just empty the tomb, but he emptied the shame of sin of its power. He emptied the penalty of sin of its power. He brought forgiveness and freedom and life because when Jesus died, our sin and our shame was placed on him and he buried it with him and he left it dead and walked right out of the tomb. Sin and shame were emptied because of the resurrection. Friends, on Friday, when Jesus died, it looked like sin and shame had no Oh, but friends, on Sunday, the news of forgiveness and freedom rang out. Friends, did you know that your sin doesn't have to get the final word in your life? An empty tomb its the final word in a believer's life. Consider this. Jesus took hopelessness into the tomb with him. I want you to imagine you have followed this man Years in his ministry, you believe him to be the the Messiah, the promised one, all of these Old Testament prophecies about him, and then he's murdered on the cross. The expectations of the people on Friday were dead, but on Sunday, they were resurrected never to die again, because the resurrection of Jesus means death doesn't get the last word in your life. You may die, but even for a believer, if we're believing in Jesus, friends, dying is simply a mild relocation of our souls for a little while. Our body goes in the grave, our soul goes to be with God, and the Bible tells us one day Jesus is going to return, and he's going to raise and unite body and soul to be together with him forever on a new heavens and a new earth. Friends, death is empty of its power and its sting because Jesus has brought the victory through his resurrection on the cross. And friends, this isn't just hope for when you die, it transforms how you live today. Doesn't everything have more meaning when you know that no matter what happens to you, you're going to be with Jesus because of what Jesus has done? When eternity's taken care of, the day to day of life becomes so much more meaningful. And the invitation is to place our faith in Jesus, friends, not just as Savior from sin and death, but also as Lord over our life and over all things. Because, friends, here's the good news. When we place Jesus in the driver's seat of our life, have you ever tried to drive with somebody somewhere and you know they didn't know where they were going? And they didn't, you know, then maybe today it's hard because you have GPS and things like that, right? But before those people actually had to use maps, Right? Let me encourage you, if you want to get to heaven, if you're looking for truth, if you're looking for life, the Bible says Jesus has already driven the path to heaven and come back and said, I know the way. In fact, he says he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. You can place Jesus in the driver's seat of your life to be Lord over your life, knowing that he knows the way to truth, to life, to heaven. And that's what it means to place our faith in him, to believe in him as Savior and place our our eternal hopes on him, but also to let him lead our life. Because, friends, if he walked out of the grave, I'm listening to that guy. Right? Have you looked? through the eyes of faith. Have you seen and believed? The invitation of Easter isn't just to get dressed up and show up at a place one day a year. It's something that's meant to resonate throughout all of our lives. To look and to believe. And today, you get the opportunity to move beyond maybe a clouded or a cursory or a curious look at the empty tomb and have the climactic realization that changes everything. Jesus is risen and we can look to him and be saved from death sin and hell and let me say this today it doesn't matter where you've been doesn't matter what you did last night doesn't matter about the last thought when the last thought you even had about God was today Jesus invites you to come he invites you to give a new fresh look into the empty tomb and not just to miss The most important thing, but to look afresh and see that he is risen. To not miss the risen one in the midst of the empty tomb. Today, by faith, you can experience the resurrection life of Jesus through faith in him. You can stop looking for these other things to save you and satisfy your soul and simply look to him and be saved. To cry out to him, and he stands ready to hear you, to save you. And friends, to make the, the disciples' lives were never going to be the same again. And when you look the look of the faith, yours will never be the same again either. To pray to the one who has died for our sins and has risen to life for our justification. In these next few moments, we're going to have a time to... Worship, And I'd encourage you today, if you've looked in the empty tomb and you've seen and believed, then it's an invitation to sing loud and proud toward our risen King. But for others, it's a time of reflection. To ask yourselves, where, where am I in my journey into realizing what the empty tomb means? Friends, if you're ready to take that step that John did to see and believe and you need to talk to somebody, I'll be down front and can pray with you. You can come up front here and pray if you'd rather, but you can take this time to respond and to look with faith and be saved because Jesus stands ready today to save you. You can have the, the same response that John did to see that Jesus is alive forevermore and that that changes. Everything. Let's stand, let's pray, and let's prepare to worship together. Father in heaven, we thank you that you sent Jesus Christ into this world to be the savior of sinners because you love us. You so loved the world that you gave your one and only son that whosoever would believe in you shall not perish but have everlasting life. And Father God, I pray right now for those in our body today who do not know you, who have not experienced that eternal life through Jesus, that they would respond now afresh to know you, to love you, and to respond to you. But for those of us who've looked and seen the reality of the empty tomb, may we live as if nothing is the same, because it's not anymore. Help us to live in light of the empty tomb, and to honor and glorify you. Because Jesus, because you live, everything is different. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. blessing from God's word. Hebrews chapter 13. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will.